Hi there, you're listening to the First Baptist Church of Oregon City podcast. I'm Pastor John Witham. This sermon, The Way of Peace, is from 16 February 2020. The scripture is Ephesians 2, 12 through 21, and is the third of four messages on the ways of Jesus. Thank you for listening, and may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It was a tense moment. The world was waiting in anxious breath to find out what was going to happen with the crisis between the United States and the Russians. And the United States president had convened his top military minds, his top uh, political leaders, and had invited the Russian ambassador. It was an unprecedented move, and one that the top American general was not very pleased with. But he invited him in nonetheless because he said that if we were going to get through this, then we needed to all work together to find a solution. And so they were all convened there. They had a buffet so that people could get food. And at the buffet, the American general confronted the Russian ambassador. He was sure that he was taking secret pictures of the inside of the American war room where they had assembled. And so the American general, frustrated beyond words, engaged in a wrestling match with the Russian ambassador. And finally, the American president broke it up saying, Gentlemen, there will be no fighting in here. This is the war room. (laughs) And so is my favorite scene from the Stanley Kubrick film, Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. It is not, this is not a historical thing. This did not actually happen. This is a film before any of you go talking to your friends about your, your crazy, bewildered pastor. We live, we have conflict all over the place. Uh, It is in our lives, it's in our world. We have conflict with ourselves, we have conflict with coworkers, we have conflict with friends and family, and nations have conflict with other nations, and the list goes on and on, because invariably, because we're all broken people, when, when we come into contact with each other and our brokenness comes into contact with each other, there is going to be conflict. Because in our brokenness, one of the things that we tend to do is we want to get our way. And we want to have things in our own personal way. But the question is today, how do we deal with conflict? Well, there's three options that we can engage in, we can ignore it, we can act like it never happened. Some people are better at that than others, just repressing it, pushing it down, or holding it at a level where you're not actively angry about it, you're just passively angry, and so you make these wonderful, like, passive-aggressive comments at people. Uh, Does anybody know anybody like that? You're the passive-aggressive type. You can ignore it, and that happens which then causes further conflict. You can perpetuate the conflict 
and make sure that as life goes along, these, these conflicts and disagreements continue and they fester like a wound that has been exposed to sewer water. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. And the conflict gets greater and greater and greater until there's something that ultimately causes a, a crack, a fissure that, that just breaks something in a way that's even more difficult to repair. You can work it out, but that's difficult. It's time-consuming. But maybe at the end, it, it leads to something better. But you have to have the humility to be able to approach somebody about working it out. People say conflict is constructive, and that's true and false. Conflict is constructive in the sense that it gives us this opportunity for reconciliation, but only if you choose to reconcile. The conflict that we see in a lot of the New Testament letters. So the Apostle Paul wrote a whole bunch of letters, and he wrote them to specific churches. The Corinth church received the letters to the Corinthians. The church in Philippi received the letters to the Philippians. And the church in Ephesus received the letter to the Ephesians, which we read part of today. Now, scholars debate, is, are these one letters? Are these multiple letters? Were these collected letters that were, that were put together into one, one collection, I don't think it matters because ultimately what we have from God here is the writings of Paul that give us an insight into what was going on in the church then and can give us insight into what's going on in the church now and was guidance for followers of Jesus then and now. And the biggest conflict in the early church was this, was that originally followers of Jesus were Jews who had just kind of come to Jesus. The Jesus movement, Jesus' teachings, Jesus' life, his ministry, most of the time happened in and around the Jewish world. There's not too many places where we see Jesus doing a lot of ministry outside of the Jewish world. And when we do, the gospel writers note that this was an exceptional thing. You, you think of um, the, the woman who, the Syrophoenician woman who came forward and, and asked for, for healing, and, and Jesus said that the... Uh, that he had come for the Jews, and she said, well, even dogs will eat the scraps from the master's table, meaning that even she would take being brushed aside by Jesus if it meant that she could be healed. We think about the faith of the centurion who said that, uh, who, who needed a servant to be healed, and, and he came to Jesus and asked for healing and said he had men at his command, and if he could give a command, Jesus could give a command and demonstrated his faith that way. Those are just two examples. And so the Christians came out of Judaism and at first were, were just around the temple and then eventually, because of conflict, 
disagreement were driven away from the temple or the synagogues and places like that. Well, eventually, there came to be people who were not Jews who wanted to be followers of Jesus too. And did they have to convert to Judaism first and then become followers of Jesus? Could they just come straight to Jesus? This was the conflict in the early church, was between the believers who had been Jews and the Gentiles. And people who thought that Gentiles, non-Jews, should become Jews first, then Christians, versus people who said they're part of the body of Christ. It doesn't matter. Jews, the Jewish people, the Hebrews that we meet in the Bible, were people who were called out as a peculiar people by God but people to be a blessing for the whole world. Their specialness was not just for their own sake, for their own enjoyment, for their own chest-thumping pride. Their, their status as being set aside was so that God could show his ways in the world over and against the ways of the pagan cultures around them. If you've read any of the creation myths of the people who existed in the same time as, as the Israelites, you'll see that a lot of those people were treated horribly because the theology of creation was that humanity was slaves for angry gods. Whereas God's people were loved by God and created lovingly, and this is the viewpoint of Genesis. And so they're called out so that they could introduce the world to this loving God who has a better way to live. But the problem that we see a lot is in, in Scripture is that they, they embrace the uniqueness but didn't embrace the blessing, that part where they're supposed to bless the world. And so that comes to a conflict. That comes to a point where Christ is on the cross. And Christ is on the cross because the Jewish leaders were threatened because of his teachings, that God's favor was not just going to be for the Jews anymore, but was going to be for the whole world. And he was put on the cross by the Romans like physically put on the cross by the Romans who were threatened because Jesus was going around saying that he was the, the coming king. That's why he didn't talk about it much. But the two forces combine to put Christ on the cross. And what Paul tells us is this, is Christ is peace on the cross. Now, it doesn't say that Christ makes peace on the cross. This isn't a peacemaking action where Christ is at odds with the world. That's not what this is. And this isn't a proclamation of peace. This isn't where Christ is serving and is God's ambassador saying, it's all okay, I'm going to do this and thus proclaim that it's okay between us and God. Christ is 
peace on the cross. He takes into his body all of the conflict of the world, the conflict between the Jews and the Gentiles, the conflict between God's chosen people and God's entirety of created people, he takes that conflict into his body and puts it to death. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, yes, another week, another C.S. Lewis reference. I'm not apologizing for it. Edmund, one of the four children who enters the wardrobe, is a traitor. And he tries to sell out his brothers and sisters to the white witch so that she can have some dirt on Aslan, who represents Jesus. And she goes to Aslan and says, I have a traitor. He deserves to be put to death. And without ruining too much of the story, I'm going to ruin too much of the story. And Aslan stands in Edmund's place and allows himself to be killed by the white witch. And when the two sisters of the family find him, they spend the night with his, uh, his departed body. And at dawn, his murdered body disappears, and he appears again. And they say, how did this happen? And he said, the witch knew the deep magic, but I knew the deeper magic. And while there might have been at one point a division between Christ, between the Jews and the Gentiles, this peculiar people and the rest of the world, Jesus knew that his death could put away that division because the cross calls us to the way of peace in Jesus' name. What's for us to decide is what we do with this peace. I think one of the things that we have to pay attention to in this Ephesians passage is the far and near discussion. Because it calls us to make peace in the neighborhood in Jesus' name. I love parts of Eugene Peterson's The Message translation. And I particularly loved the, the first chapter of John because it says that in Christ, God came into the neighborhood. God moved into the neighborhood. Now, there's no distinction between those who are far from God and those who are near from God. That's our perception. Because now, through Christ's crucifixion, through the cross, God is near. And that changes how we treat the neighborhood. That changes how we treat the world around us. Because if I'm near to God and my neighbors are near to God, then my calling as a follower of Jesus, my act of evangelism, is to let my neighbors know that God's not far from you, that God is very near to you, and all we have to do is wake them up to the realization 
that there is love, there is a family, there is, there is a king in a better way that's right next to them. Can we proclaim a, a, an ignorance of God's nearness through our actions? Yes. Can there, are there actions, sins, that proclaim a fundamental misunderstanding of God's nearness to humanity? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean that God is far from the sinner or that the sinner is far from God. Because through the cross, everyone is near to God. This peace, however, has to first be shown in the family of God. Now, when I say we this morning and identify taught places that, that God's family may be broken, I don't mean that in all of these ways that it might be broken here. These are ways that I have seen God's family be broken and where the world sees God's family is broken. And it's for us to discern as a body of Christ if we are broken in these ways as well. Paul says that both Jew and Gentile need to be reconciled, that none are excluded from this reconciliation. And so we all draw close to God through Christ, and we are all reconciled to God through Christ. And we are all constantly in need of being reconciled to Christ. Because we deny God through God's nearness through our actions, and then we're drawn back through the cross. And there are some of us that have had the privilege of growing up in the church. I can't think of a time that I have never, that I have known life outside of God's family. Not everybody has that. Not everybody has always felt that nearness and that comfort of having a seat around the family table. Some people have come into the family from outside, and that's okay. Because through the cross, Jesus is peace between those of us who have been here a long time and those of us who are just showing up. But one thing that families are good at, both our blood family and God's family, is building up walls to try to keep things out or trying to keep things in. And we put up walls and we have these barriers and we, we define them with words and we're, we're particularly good at abusing language and coming up with words that either mark off our tribal boundaries or create enemies for ourselves. I know I do this, so this is confession time for me as much as it is anything else.
but we put up these walls. And we try to, to keep things in or out, depending on what the purpose of the wall is. But when we try to keep people out with a wall, the thing that we, the, the person that we actually end up keeping out most of the time is Jesus. And when we build a wall to keep something in, what we find most of the time is that we're just wallowing in our own self-centeredness. The peace that Christ brings tears down every wall. And it calls us to peace with God. It calls us to peace with each other. It calls us to peace with God's family worldwide. And God's family is huge. God's family is in North America and South America and Africa and Asia and Europe and Australia and Antarctica, probably, and, and anyone who calls on the name of Jesus Christ is part of God's family. It transcends political divides. It transcends racial divides. It transcends gender divides. But we have to make peace with these things because as broken people, we naturally gravitate towards brokenness and not towards peace. So when we pay attention to God's family all over, there are people that we're going to have differences with, and that's okay. There are people we're going to have disagreements with, and that's okay. What's not okay is carrying out conflict in Jesus' name because Jesus was not crucified so that we could fight with each other. Jesus was crucified so that we could make peace with each other and make peace with the world. Because at the end of this passage, we get a beautiful picture of what God is doing in our midst. It's happening under our noses right now. Is a temple is being built. And it's a, it's a rich image because for, for the Jews, the temple was where the presence of God lived. And that temple is being built out of all different kinds of followers of Jesus. It's being built out of you. It's being built out of me. It's being built by the churches in our block, by the churches in our area. But it's being built in the name of Jesus so that people can come in, that we can be a presence in our neighborhood where people know that the presence of the Lord is here, that peace is here, that healing is here, that God is here. God is there too because all authority in heaven and on earth is given to Jesus. But the temple of the Lord in Jesus' time had a wall. And if you were not a Jew, you could not go through that door. There is part of the temple 
that you could not get into if you were not Jewish. And a lot of time we talk about the, the, the curtain that, that ripped when Christ was crucified and, and the, the Holy of Holies was open to the entire world. But consider that Jesus broke down that other wall too. That wall that stood between God's people and the rest of the world. So that now any in the name of Jesus may approach God the Father, and get a seat at the table. Amen.